Do I have it now? Okay, there we go. Well, good morning. As you can tell from my voice, I've picked up some kind of a cold through the week, so I apologize. I am not going to stand at the door and greet you. I'm going to be selfish and keep this to myself. Um, so I, right now, I will say, have a great week. It was good to see you this morning. <laughs> but we are going to still have the service. Um, but I am also thinking that it might be a good idea to cancel tonight's Bible study. Um, I'm not sure what kind of a voice I'm going to have left anyway till tonight. And I think once I get in on the couch and get under a blanket and feel kind of comfy. <laughs> so, um, so no Bible study tonight. I apologize. Um, it's been good. We've been talking about the parables, and I think we've been finding out that there's more to them than, than just the surface-level knowledge that we have of them. Yes, they have a point. They make a point to us, but as we learn more, it's been interesting to see just how, just how much more we can learn as we know more about the culture and the different things like that. So it's been fun. Um, I do want to let you know that... Um, We've start, Sharon has started, Sharon and Jeannie were in this week, they were setting up the clothing, Sharon has asked for help, if there's anybody who could give her an hour, hour or two, anytime, um, please let her know, she'd like to have a little bit of help getting the clothing out, getting ready for the giveaway. Um, also, you, if you look at the bulletin, you'll see that there's going to be somebody coming in on Tuesday to clean out the basement, that, especially that room that I remember as the youth room, um, it sounds like you've got some things wrapped up down there. Um, that are going to go unless you, unless you tag them or let somebody from the property committee know that you want to keep them for some reason. And it sounds like you probably better have a very, very good argument for keeping them because um, <laughs> they've been down there for a long time, wrapped up, nobody's using them. So anyhow, coming in, somebody's coming in on Tuesday to clean that up. Wanted, uh, what time? Do, you, do we know a specific time? It's 8.30, 8.30, sometime in the morning, 8.30. Um, also, PRC, is that definitely going to happen on Tuesday, or are we still trying to? Thursday. Thursday. Okay. Very good. Thursday. PRC meeting on Thursday. I'm sorry. I've had, we've been rescheduled. So we've got, we've got missions committee on Monday. We've got discipleship on Wednesday. PRC on Thursday. Anybody want to take Tuesday? <laughs> I actually do have something on Tuesday evening, but it's, it's something else within the denomination. So, um, okay. And then one other, one other thing I wanted to make you aware of that didn't make it to the bulletin. It was something we just got set up, but it's so close that I wanted to wanted to take a special time to announce it. I wanted to make sure we had something that we were doing this fall as a group, as a family. And so, wanted to make sure you knew that. Okay, that on next Saturday, the 29th, There we go. Next Saturday, the 29th, we're going to get out. It sounds like you've done this before, um, but uh, looking forward to going out with you this year and um, going out for the hayride out at Rissers. Get there by 5 o'clock, no later than 5.15, because you've got to get registered. The hay wagon takes off at 5.30. We'll take a hayride. They'll take us out to our own personal campfire. We'll have hot dogs and probably s'mores, and we'll have some fun. And then... Uh, and then, then you'll have the opportunity to go through the, hay, the, the corn maze, if you'd like. There's sounds like they've got cornhole, and they've got all kinds of different games. And so it just sounds like a wonderful evening. So I'm looking forward to having you all out there. Um, I haven't talked to the treasurer, so don't tell her. But I'm thinking that what we're going to do is we're going to pay for the kids, okay? Because I know we've got some big families. I know what that was like. I had three kids. Sounds like, you know, $15 doesn't sound like, or whatever it's going to be, 15 
per person. But when you start multiplying that by four or five, it gets a little expensive. So the church is going to pay for the, is she, is she scowling? Is she looking at, give, give me a dirty look. The church is going to pay for the children and the youth. Okay, thank you. And uh, the, the parents take care of paying for yourself. I hope that's a, hope that's a good deal for you. I want to see as many of you out there as possible. Um, yesterday was beautiful. Let's hope that uh, that day will be a beautiful day like yesterday was. Um, this is just wearing me out. Anyway, so anybody else? Anybody else have anything else for the church family? Anything we need to know about on the calendar? All right. I will also ask you, uh, if you're a visitor, glad to have you here this morning. Um, we have little cards. They're not in front of you anymore. Now they're back on the back table. Um, so, but if you, before you leave, if you're a visitor, please, uh, or if you just want me to know what your name and address is, fill out a little card, and I, one day you're going to prank me. I know, I'm going to have 27 cards back there with people I already know. That's okay. Um, fill out the card if you would, and uh, let us know that you were here. Okay, let's, um, let's pause for a second, and let's just, uh, let's get ready. We're here, um, we're here as a family, so these, import- these announcements are important, but you're not here to hear me talk. You're here to worship the Lord as a, as a family. So let's, let's take a moment to pray and uh, prepare ourselves for worship. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for this, uh, this day. Thank you for this beautiful weather we've been having. Regardless of the weather, Lord, we know that each day is a gift and that it's a beautiful day and that it's a day that you have made, and so we do rejoice in it. Father, I pray this morning that everything that we sing, say, and do would be to your honor and to your glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite you to stand as we join with the, with the praise band. Good morning, everybody. We're going to try one here we haven't done in a little while. Hope everybody remembers it. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your unliving love. Your presence. I've tasted it. Of the sweetest delights, when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone, and your presence, Lord. so Holy Spirit. To be over 
Some time now to to offer up um, praises and prayer requests. Do we have any praises? Anybody have any praises they want to share from this week? Oh, good, good. Emma goes to see the GI doctor on the twenty seventh, and the beautiful weather we're having right now. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Okay. I just want to thank everyone again. It may be redundant, but what a wonderful church family. And I know wherever Arvel is, he's smiling down, and I'm going to assume he's in heaven, happy with the Lord. Thank you again, everybody. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Any other praises? Nope. 
up top. <laughs> um, our family has a friend named Wendy. We do karate with Wendy. And Wendy was diagnosed with breast cancer back in August, but thankfully she's responding very well to the treatment. The size of her tumor is shrink shrinking like at a wonderful rate. Uh, they're looking at not having to do any immunotherapy treatments. So as, as bad as it is that she has this disease, she's responding very, very well and is very pleased with the way things are going. So. Wonderful. Okay, well, how about prayer requests? Praises or prayer requests at this point? Any, anybody have anything they want to bring up? Yeah, if you could keep my dad in your prayers. Um, he has COVID, and uh, he's up in uh, Phoebe Ministries in Allentown. Thank you so much. Okay. And we'll pray for whatever that is. <laughs> That's God putting his own prayer request in for us. It stopped real close. I'd like to lift you up in prayer because you're not feeling well. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Also, um, that kind of reminds me, too. Um, I know that uh, on Wednesday evening Donna Rogers left feeling feeling ill and then found out that Carol was also not feeling so so well the next day so I think maybe whatever this is might be going around um, or, or several several people are dealing with it so did I see back yeah back there go ahead I have a praise I just saw teeny Christine Rupert in today <laughs> hi Christine <laughs> yep good to see you back in church we know that you you tell me you you do watch it on zoom that's another oh that's one thing and i know this is not necessary don't want to waste too much time but i would love someday to see if we if we are able to switch the camera somehow so that we can show that who's on zoom so that we could see them up here and even if we could wave to them or something because we know they're out there and and we're glad that you're with us and i every now and then i i just kind of focus here and forget that that we've got a camera back there, and I don't want to do that, but yeah. We have another request up top. In response to that, most of the Zoomers choose to keep their cameras off. So we okay. can see their names, but most of the time we don't actually see their pictures. That's, that's true. Okay. That's um, right. I forgot. They're in their pajamas. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. And also, just as another pre our prayer request, our friend Jim uh, has some medical issues. He had a leg removed last year, and they're uh, has a, having issues with his other foot and leg now, too. So he's asking for prayer that just things will unfold as they will, but for some healing and some pain relief. Okay. Okay. Any other? Yes, back here. I'm sorry. I'd like to ask prayers for Judy Gordon, our song leader. She's not here today, and I miss her. <laughs> She's not feeling well. Yeah. Okay. Any others? Okay, well, let's, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for good health. <laughs> and Father, you heard there are several of us struggling right now, different levels of, 
of not feeling well, whatever, you know, whatever that means in each case, Father, I pray that you'll touch um, all who are sick at this moment, that, um, that you'll heal them, take away whether it's uh, the cold, whether it's a stomach bug, um, whatever those things are. We, we also have heard about some, some more serious issues, and Father, I pray for Dave's dad that you'll, you'll cure him, for, heal him from this COVID that he's dealing with. Um, I pray for uh, this friend Jim uh, with his uh, problems with his foot and leg now. Again, only you know exactly what's going on there and, and that you'll take care of working with or working through uh, doctors and specialists to, to prepare him for, um, for feeling better and being able to use those feet, that foot and that leg um, to, to get around. Father, you heard the praises. We love you. We, we thank you. There's just so much that we could list, so many things that we can praise you for. And Father, I, I just pray that we'll think about that more often. It, it doesn't take long for us to complain, for us to think about those things that aren't going well. We turn to you when we need help, but Father, help us to remember to turn to you when, we, when we're so grateful and when we're so feeling so good and, and having so much fun and, and help us to just remember that, that you're there with us then too. Um, and so Father, I do recognize that now and we do thank you for all the ways that you have worked in our lives and you're with us every day. Father, I thank you for the way that you provide for us each day and you give us our daily bread and much of it is in the form of income, Father, and so I thank you that we have the opportunity to, prov- to give back. Um, Father, I, I need to stop right now. I forgot. I, I pray, Lord, for whatever this emergency is that we're hearing these sirens about, Father, I pray that, that, the, that whatever it is, that, that there can be a, just a, a minimal amount of, of, of damage or that there's no loss of life and that people can take care of... Uh, of healing and curing and getting people to the to the hospital as quickly as they need and we just know it's in your hands lord and so father once again as i as i say i thank you for what you provide and we give back a portion today as our offering and so i ask you to accept it and to bless it and to use it to further your kingdom and your church and we pray it in jesus name amen And will you uh, stand and join us in singing hymn number 434?
Now we're going to continue our study of First John, this letter that John has written to his to his church, one of the churches that he has established. Um, and we've we've reached kind of a, a natural division in his letter. We've kind of reached a halfway point. Um, it's very similar to what you find in his gospel as well. He does the same sort of thing. But in his letter here, the first half of the letter emphasized, if you remember, uh, the light and the truth of God. And the second half is going to emphasize love in the community. The first half of the letter defi- distinctly defined the difference between those who live in the darkness and those who live in the true light of Christ. Excuse me. The difference is those that, who live in the light are the children of God, he said, remember? And they remained with the church. The ones who left the church, he said, are children of the devil. Now, he's not saying they are children of the devil because they left, but he says that's how they can tell. The fact that they left, they didn't want to be part of the community. They didn't want to listen to, to God's word. They didn't want to have to live according to God's commands and so forth. That's proof to him that they were the children of the devil, as he refers to them. So now in the second half, John's going to focus on the quality of his followers' lives together. Basically, he's asking them or, or going to talk about how well does the congregation get along. There's a commentator, Raymond Brown, in his commentary on the epistles of John, he says this. He says, the secessionists, those ones who, who left the church, they're still much in mind, but now one hears less directly of their boasts and claims. The secession has torn the life of the community, and the author, John, is taking pains to rebuild that life. He does this by giving full stress to the gospel of loving one another. What he's telling us is that John is now focusing, he, he, he's saying, okay, they're gone. And that's fine. That's water over the dam, que sera, sera. We need to stop worrying about those people that we've lost and start focusing on the people who are still here. It brought to mind my, my experience with golfing. I know that we have some, some golfers. Um, and I, I thought about a, a short par three. It's easy to reach, 170, 175 yards, but it's on the other side of a pond. And when I get up and I'm, I'm teeing up, I start thinking about, well, that, that, that pond's not very big. Just don't hit it in the water. Don't hit it in the water. I just, as long as I clear the water, don't, don't hit it in the water. Whoosh, boom, it's in the water. <laughs> because I'm focusing on the water. I'm concentrating. Even though I'm telling myself, don't hit the water, I'm still thinking about the water. You need to focus on the, on the green instead of on the pond. And that's what he's saying here, too. Stop focusing on those who have left. Concentrate on the community that we still have. That's what he's telling them. But it's also good advice even in, in our modern-day churches. So this break in the letter was actually started at the very end of last week's verse. We ended with verse 10, and the very last part of it was talking about how anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. He just kind of out of the blue brought this idea back about needing to love our brother or sister. And when he says brother or sister, he's talking about someone else in the faith, brother or sister in Christ, 
someone in the congregation, someone in the church. So that's how we ended last week, and we're, we're picking up from that then um, today. He starts this second half of the letter by concentrating on love, especially love in the community, love among the brothers and sisters, love in the congregation. And part of his message is going to be that love is an action word. Love isn't just something that we're in. You know, we're not just in love, and it's not something we fall out of. We're not just falling out of love. In fact, it's not just something we can sit around and talk about. John tells us that love demands action. So we start this morning's message with John's thesis statement, if you will. He's, his point, the point of the, the next part of his letter here. Verse 11, he tells us, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. If you learn nothing else in Sunday school, that's what you learn, right? We need to love one another. And he uses the phrase that he's used several times now, the message you heard from the beginning, because it's a command that we saw way back in in the early books of the Old Testament. But it's also the message, like I said, that you learn in Sunday school. So from the beginning, whether you look at it from a historical perspective or just your own experience, the, the, from the beginning, this is a message you have learned. We're talking about God, and if we're talking about God, then that means we're talking about love, because God is love. Now, he starts off by reminding us of an example from the beginning that does not demonstrate love, and he says, don't be like this. So we go to verse 12. He says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So he says, don't be like Cain. Okay, well, let's take a quick look at, at what, what the problem was with, with Cain. We see the story in Genesis chapter 4. talks about how um, Cain was born, and then later um, the brother Abel was born. He says, now Abel kept flocks. So Abel was some sort of a shepherd, goats, sheep, we don't know what, but he kept flocks. And Cain worked the soil. So he was a farmer. He's got potatoes and carrots. In the course of time, in other words, one day, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So notice Cain is coming first. He's going to offer some of his potatoes and carrots. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You hear, God's telling him that, He's giving him a chance. I mean, he's telling him exactly what he needs to do. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So when you hear this story, you you, you should recognize that there's nothing wrong with Cain's sacrifice. There was nothing wrong with the fact that he gave the potatoes and carrots because that's what he... That's what he grew. That's, that was what he had available as his first fruits. Don't get hung up. I know some people get hung up on the fact that there wasn't blood shed. Well, there wasn't blood in the other one either. 
Abel gave um, his fat portions. Now he had to kill the animal to, to get that, but this was just a grain offering. This was not a blood offering. This was an offering. One was giving what he had. He gives his potatoes and carrots. The other one's giving fat, and they're offering it up, up to God. Both of them, it seems, are okay as far as what they're sacrificing. It's more about the attitude that's going into the sacrifices, it would seem. Because given what we read from the rest of the story, Cain probably just started this whole thing out with the wrong, wrong kind of heart. And after God speaks to him, tells him exactly what he needs to do, recognizes that he tried, but that he, there's just something not quite right about, his, about what's going on with this sacrifice, even after he speaks to him, Cain's still full of jealousy. Abel, there was nothing Abel did wrong. It's not like Abel gave the sacrifice. We don't hear anything here where Abel, you know, did any kind of nan 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 that kind of stuff. That well, he he accepted mine, but not yours. There's nothing. There's no taunting here. There's no comparison. But unfortunately, this is this is between this is between Cain and God, and he ends up taking it out on Abel, um, just because of his jealousy. So instead of being happy for his brother, that's the other thing that could have happened. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for what you did. And instead of looking at him and saying, so, so what do you think is wrong with, with what I did? Getting some help from his brother. He didn't even really need to do that because God, God was helping him out. God was giving him some instruction. But instead of doing what God asks, and instead of getting any kind of advice from his brother, he, he just looks at Abel and he says, that's not fair. I hate you. Really, that, that, that was his attitude. Instead of trying to improve himself, he gets jealous and gets mad at, uh, at Abel. So Cain was a terrible person, wasn't he? Oh, be careful how you answer that. <laughs> have you ever been happy when you saw someone else struggling? How many times have you ever said, good, he deserves that? Or, that couldn't happen to a better person. I bet you've used that one once or twice before. Bless you. Have you ever booed somebody? Are you fanatical enough about your team that you cheer when somebody from the other team gets hurt and has to leave the game? I know that sounds mean, but do we have any Phillies fans here? <laughs> okay. How about Dodgers fans? Because I'm going to talk about the same guy, Chase Utley. We remember Chase Utley with the Phillies, and then he went to the Dodgers. He was playing for the Dodgers in a playoff game against the Mets several years ago, and he broke up a double play, but he also broke the infielder's legs going in with a very hard slide. In fact, he didn't even try to slide. He didn't even try to reach over and touch the base. He came in high and hard. It was legal, but he ended up breaking the guy's legs. Now, the run scored, which tied the game, so everybody's cheering about that, but they kept cheering. It seemed that they were continuing to cheer because the infielder was staying down. Well, even in youth sports, we know that when somebody gets hurt, everybody takes a knee, and then when that person hopefully gets up and is able to hobble off or walk off the field, then everybody, everybody cheers for them. It seems that as a society, we've crossed a line. It's no longer good enough just to have our team win. Now we want to hurt the other team in the process. No longer do we want to just gain or, or win something over someone, but now we want to see someone else lose something in the process. And I'm not just talking about sports. You can, you can spread that across any, any situation, and I, I would say, 
I would say, even in politics today. John says that Cain belonged to the evil one. He's a child of the devil. And we know that one of the first recorded works of the devil was to bring death to Adam, right? So don't be like Cain. Don't have an attitude of jealousy and hate. Verse 13 tells us, So God, so God said to Noah, wrong, wrong book. Let's go back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Jesus was the most loving person who ever walked the face of the earth. And people still hated him, right? The emotions that drove Cain are the emotions that drive the people who are opposed to Christianity. Preaching God's truth has been labeled as hate speech. There have been pastors who have been, I don't know if they were actually taken off to jail, but I know especially down in Texas, it got, it got kind of dicey there for a little while. I mean, there, it's not too far out of the question to assume that one day I could be standing here preaching truth from the Bible and somebody would walk in because they had heard about me delivering hate speech, depending on what it is that I'm, that I'm sharing with you. There are people today who don't take our comments or our actions as Christian love. Now, I, I encourage you, make sure you're giving them in Christian love as well. It's all about your attitude, remember? That's, that was the difference between Cain and Abel. But it seems that people now don't want to take those comments as Christian love. They, they take it as an offense. When Vicki and I worked down here at Jubilee Ministries, there were times we had to say no to a request. And that no was often out of love for them. If, if we felt like they already had a few things that we were able to give them or they just wanted something that seemed to be a little luxurious rather than a need and so forth. Or even if we felt like, no, we can't give that to you. We've given you this or that and, and, and that request. There's other people that we know of that, that could use this better. There were different reasons for giving a no, but that wasn't good enough for them. That, wasn't, that didn't satisfy their, their request, of course. And so they just assumed that we were going to say yes automatically and they, they would get offended because we said no. And so their response very often would be with one hand on the hip, well, I thought you were a Christian organization. Well, we are, and that's why we're saying no, but they just assumed that the answer should be yes. And that whole idea about getting upset because we said no, that's the same mentality that Cain had. That's not fair. I hate you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. And then verses 14 to 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Does this mean that a murderer can never make it to heaven? Well, no. If he or she does confess and repent, you know, the Lord will be faithful and will will forgive them. But John's warning about a core attitude of hatred. He's reminding us of the Sermon on the Mount. Back here, Jesus, Jesus told everyone, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That makes sense to us. 
He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It's going from murder to anger. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now that was like saying something kind of mean, like you jerk or you idiot or something like that. You know, something a little bit, just one level down from being angry. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So he went from murderer to just calling somebody a fool. But he says everything in between there, it's all subject to judgment. Hate and anger are the attitudes that generate the act of murder. Do you love all your brothers and sisters? At least they've narrowed it down to just church people. <laughs> brothers and sisters is our, our fellow, fellow Christians, our, our congregation, our fellow churchgoers. But do you love everyone in your congregation? And you might say, yeah, I, I try to be nice to everybody. Well, that's not quite what I asked. <laughs> Who do you avoid? When you know they're going to be there, you avoid them. When you, when you come to church where everybody loves each other, do you sit in a different part of the church to make sure you don't have to, to run into that person? Who is it here that stirs up negative emotions inside you when they walk in the room? A person comes in and you say, oh man, not him or not her. Who can you say this about? My life would honestly be better without them. And you know as well as I do that somebody comes to mind in all these situations. And if it did, if they did come to mind, well, that was the Holy Spirit talking to you, okay? And one of the things that you'll learn about me, this is just kind of a side note, that nearly every conversation with me leads me to a song. I feel that life is a song. Everything can be, can be repeated back to you with some sort of a verse. So when I read the next verse, I couldn't help but think of, uh, of a favorite rock group of mine named Foreigner, who had a song, I want to know what love is. Yep, yep, I'm getting some nods, all right. I want to know what love is, and, and now you're hearing it in your head too. Well, the answer, John answers the question here. He says this in the next verse, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus demonstrated what sacrificial love looks like. And the Christians that John's writing to had to be ready to put their life on the line too. If you refuse to participate in the worship of the Caesar or the emperor, you'd be labeled as a subversive, right? You're a potential threat to the society. And their enemies, anybody who didn't like them, they'd be all too happy to betray them to the government. And if you were a prisoner then, and especially if you're not a citizen, they could torture you. They could torture you for information. So Christians would have to make a decision. They, they, they would have to pay a tremendous price, a potentially a fatal price if they were going to hold out and, and, and to avoid betraying fellow Christians to their death. Now, not too many of us are going to have to physically lay down our life for somebody else, but you can think of those people who are willing. Soldiers, um, even civil servants, our police, our firefighters, EMS, they go into some potentially fatal situations. But you don't even have to go that far. Think about mothers and fathers. They have an attitude of it's not about me, it's about everybody else. We talked about that last week, how this isn't about 
this number one. It's about the real number one. And we show our love for the real number one by showing it to the community that we call First DC Church and also to the community of Palmyra. What if every day of our life we went through, uh, through the day thinking about not what's best for us, but what's best for everyone else? Think about Jesus in the, in the garden. Where if, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. In his humanity, he recognized the pain and the suffering he was going to have to share. But not my will, but yours. You know, if it's possible, but he knows, no, I have to give up my life if necessary. Verse 17 tells us if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? He's covering a lot of different subjects here, isn't he? This sounds a lot like James, James 2, verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? We can't be disciples of Jesus if our only response is going to be, well, I'll pray for you. There's something about how we're created in the image of God that when we see someone in need, something happens in our heart. You can't pass a person in need without thinking about whether or not you should help them. But there's also something about how we're human and born with a sinful nature that makes us ignore what our heart is feeling. We just shut it off. We just want to pretend there's no need there or or we convince ourselves that someone else is going to take care of them. Do you think it might be possible That God knows enough about what he's doing that he orchestrated this little meeting? Is it possible that his plan for redemption for that person, whether it's clothing, food, or the, the gospel message, but possibly his plan of salvation for that person involved having you run into them at that very moment? I want you to also notice the digression here, if you will, the association between these attitudes. John starts with murder. Then he points out that hate is as bad as murder. And now he's saying the lack of pity is as bad as hate. Verses 18 and 19 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Love is not just to be talked about. Love is to be shown and done. Love is an action word. Verses 20 to 22. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God And receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Our hearts condemn us when we're not right with God. When we are right with God, there's no more guilt and no more shame. John says our hearts don't condemn us anymore because we're right with God. Love sets us free. 
There's the freedom that comes from living beyond ourselves because no longer are we focused on ourselves, no longer focused on our guilt and on our shame, but because we're justified before God, because of Jesus' death on the cross, we're free to, to extend his love. Verses 23 and 24. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he is in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. So how do we know that the Spirit lives in us? Because we love. The Spirit doesn't live in us because we love. We love because the Spirit lives in us. When we say yes to Jesus, God begins to develop his evidence in us. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And love is listed as one part of the fruit of the Spirit. So love is an action word. Love bled from the thorns placed on his head. Love carried lumber up a hill to a place called Golgotha. Love allowed himself to be executed like the worst possible criminal. Love sacrificed himself. He died. Love walked out of a tomb. Love lives. And love lives through your love for your brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth that we find in us. In, in, in it, excuse me. Father, help us. Help us to recognize those areas where we're not showing love to a brother or sister. Father, it's uncomfortable, but thank you for pointing out that our hate or even just our disregard of a brother or sister is as bad as murder. We need your help, Lord. So touch our heart and help us to know those areas where we need to work on this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you to stand now as we sing our final hymn. Number 456 with kind of a kind of a nod to Arvel, onward Christian soldiers. <laughs>
now as you leave here, I'll remind you I'm not going to greet you at the door. Um, but when you leave, leave with love in your heart. And may God bless you and protect you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.